It is so good and right um, to have a pastor that is so encouraging. Um, that's who I know Eric to be. He just overflows with encouragement. And so thank you, Eric, for praying. Thank you all for praying. Uh, this morning, uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 20. Like Eric said, we're going through the two of the royal psalms this morning. It's not the only two. Um, there's a handful of them. And what the royal psalms are really aimed to do is to help us see the ultimate, glorious, powerful kingship of Yahweh, of God the Father. These psalms are meant to emphasize God's promise to King David that his kingdom would be eternal. That that David wouldn't see it, but that David's kingdom would not end with him. That Jesus, the Son of God, the one prophesied in the Old Testament, would come to earth and he would establish his kingdom forever. This is why it says in the Gospels that Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the arrival of the kingdom. He's announcing, hey, the kingdom is here. Come in. He's saying, hey, you outcast, that you are welcome in my kingdom. That you, hey, hey, you neglected and mistreated, you are welcome in my kingdom. He comes to draw into his kingdom those from every corner of society without regard for societal status or economic status. There is no discrimination for those in Christ's kingdom. He's saying any and all that would bow to my kingship are a part of something so much bigger than they could ever imagine. They're stepping into a way of life that leads to ultimate human flourishing. So this morning as we talk about rule and reign and power and dominion and kingship, I kind of want us to set aside the, our ideas that we have about these words because I think most often than not they have negative connotations because we've seen power abused. We've seen power mishandled, used for selfish gain. But this is not the power of Christ. This is not what we see Jesus talk about. It's not what we see Him display because Christ is not capable of Misusing power. You know, a lot of politicians say that they might be for the people, or maybe they're of the people. Uh, you know, they're for the, the, the small town uh, business owner, right? And they make all these grand promises. And maybe they make it to, you know, they get elected, they make it to office, and, you know, what do they, what do, they do? They often act in selfish interest, but this is not who Jesus is. He's not capable of misusing his power. And that's so foreign to us. And what Jesus does, is he actually takes our understanding and our experience with power, with authority, and he flips it on its head and says, I'm actually going to use this for my glory and your joy. It's a two-way street. When we bow our knee to Jesus, 
that we receive joy and He gets all the glory. So, Psalm 20 and 21. These two psalms are actually connected. And the first one, Psalm 20, is a, a prayer to God that He would show His favor to the King. And He would give Him victory in battle. And the second one, Psalm 21, is a response. It's a response of thankfulness to God for providing for the king. And so uh, we only have time to kind of drill down into 20. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time there. We're going to read through both of them. But I really encourage you to later today just kind of read over 21 and, and soak in the thankfulness, the heart posture. All right, so Psalm 20, starting in verse 1. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May He remember all your offerings and regard you with favor your burnt sacrifices. May He grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. Now may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with his, the saving might of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the King. May He answer us when we call. O Lord, in Your strength the King rejoices in Your salvation. How greatly He exalts. You have given Him His heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of His lips. For You meet Him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon His head. He asked life of You and You gave it to Him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through Your salvation. Splendor and majesty You bestow on Him. For You make Him most blessed forever. You make Him glad with the joy of Your presence. For the King trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, He shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in His wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise evil mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So again, we're going to kind of drill down. We're going to walk through Psalm 20. Starting in verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. We serve and bow to a king that answers us. And this is great news. Because that means he actually listens to us. He doesn't just hear us. And there's a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? That hearing is passive, but listening is active. You know, it'll just be Emily and I, and we'll be talking, and uh, she'll just, you know, kind of be scrolling on her phone. I'm, you know, telling her a story, maybe, and she's just, you know, kind of checked out. She's like, uh-huh, right, sure. 
And I'm like, Emily, are you listening? She's like, yeah, I'm listening. No, you heard me. I, I, I know that sound entered your ears, but you're not listening. And I'm equally as guilty of that as well. But we have a God who doesn't just hear us, right? He's not just capable of hearing our prayers. He is an active listener, and He answers us. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. We see that the name of God alone, just His name, protects us. One of the most awesome examples of this is in John 18, where Jesus, He's in the garden. He's about to go to the cross. And Judas and the soldiers, they approach Him to arrest Him. And they ask Him, Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And we see this in verse 46. Excuse me, verse 6. He says, When Jesus said to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, scholars debate whether or not this is an actual, like, miraculous force. Like, Jesus kind of forced them to the ground, like, just by the power of His name. But I would like to believe, I would like to believe that the same God who spoke the world into existence can force back with an awesome power any creation when His name is revealed. It's so powerful. It's impossible to stand against. It's laughable to try and stand against our God. And yet this is the name that we bow to. This is the King who we submit to the one that we seek in times of need, times of heartache and in struggle. Oh, what a mighty name that we hope in. You know, and, and a name, words in general, but names point to a person. You know, names were very specific in the ancient world. And so this name, I am, the great I am is showcasing who God is. He is. He just is. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the greatest in the entire universe. And this is the King that we bow to. May He send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. We see that God supplies all of our needs. And I think it's really interesting here that it says, may He send you help from the sanctuary, the place of worship, you know, the taking of sacraments. It's a place that should sustain us. So that, that you all that this morning, what we are participating in, should be something that sustains us, a place of encouragement, a place where we can find nourishment. A place where we give God the due praise He deserves and then spur one another on in our own domains of influence. This is not a, a one-time loan with a really high interest rate. Like 
God gives us a continual supply of support. He, his bank never runs dry. He supplies all of our needs. May He remember all your offerings in regard with favor, your burnt sacrifices. God remembers our deeds. Our ones we do in private and in public. Now, on the one hand, this can be very you know, prosperity gospel type. You know, that where, where God becomes a genie and a bottle and you just have to do the right things and say the right things and Man, he'll just, he'll just give you what you want because you do the right things. On the other hand, there's this idea that we're completely unable to do anything good. And that's half true. So we're, we're unable to do good without God, but for those of us who are in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, that we have the actual power of God within us, changing us, transforming us, and enabling us to do good and to do incredible things. The Holy Spirit does good works in and through us for the glory of God and for our joy. Jesus is a king that sees your genuine attempts to look and be more like him. In Matthew 6, verses 3 through 4, this is what Jesus says. He says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may, your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God isn't expecting you to, you know, do enough good deeds and then He'll reward you. Because the power to do good comes from Him alone. He, he wants you to step into obedience. Step into doing good works. And this reward, it's often not what we expect, right? Like it's, but it's always what we need. It's rarely what we expect, but it's always, always what we need. Remember, it's every good and perfect gift that comes from above. Jesus is a king who rewards genuine and humble service. Why? Because he's a good king. And just like a young child is affirmed for good behavior, we too are rewarded when we obey the king. Not by means of money or material things, but a deeper awareness of who God is and how much He loves us, and the transformation by the Holy Spirit in us, conforming us into the image of our King. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. So very similar to verse 3. This can be easily misconstrued. It's been our heart's chief desire aligns with God's desire, namely His glory being made manifest, being made known to the world, that is when He grants us our heart's desires. And remember, the Holy Spirit, He gives us a new heart. It, it transforms us from what the Bible calls a heart of stone 
It's not our old, fleshly, sinful desires that God is granting and approving of, but it's the good, right desires that the Holy Spirit has planted within us. But these pure desires, they rarely come without a cost. You know, in, in the fruit of the Spirit, we can all find one that we struggle with. Parents, may I ask how your patience is? Is it perfect all the time? Probably not. See, when we crave the fruit of the Spirit, when we ask God to do the work within us, and we very well should, we don't always realize what we're asking for. How do you grow in patience? Well, you put yourself in impatient situations so that it's tested. And the Holy Spirit, He's training us over time to adapt to the fruit. Right? He's planted those seeds. He's trying to water them and grow them. Because these sin, our sinful hearts, they're allergic. They're resistant to these things. Like your first reaction when traffic is backed up on New Circle Road, is not to just be cool, calm, and collected. Our first reaction is not love, joy, peace, patience, and the like. It's the exact opposite of those things. So when you ask for patience, when you ask for love, be ready to be put in situations that are quite the opposite. Because God's trying to grow that within you. It's a process. And this battle hardening is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do within us. Our King Jesus, He wants us to look more like Him. And He's willing and He's able and He's eager to tell the Spirit, to, hey, go work. Go water those seeds. Grow that fruit. He wants to grant our heart's desires when our desires align with His, when our plans align with His. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on Him. Our hearts, they should first produce praise, not for the stuff that God gives us, but for the Son God gave us. God sent a rebellious people, a sinful people, you and I. He sent us a king. And Jesus, as king, wasn't just sent. He wasn't just commanded to go. But he was out of love and compassion, compelled to. He couldn't resist not to. And whether you're, you're a Christian or not, Jesus surely is your king. And you might not think he is, but there is a day where all will bow before Jesus. And see, the reality of surrendering to the kingship of Christ is that it grants you the forgiveness of your sin. It's not your, your knee hitting the ground. It's not a, a prayer that you pray, but it is a posture of heart when the Holy Spirit rushes you and you realize that Jesus is in fact King. And He is one worthy of bowing and submitting to for your entire life.
See, Jesus, he, he was already king before he came here and started proclaiming the kingdom. He was king in heaven with God the Father from the very beginning of time. And when he saw that this rebellious people kept rejecting the prophets, kept rejecting his word, motivated in love, he stepped out of his heavenly kingdom where he was free from any type of physical or emotional turmoil that you and I experience. And as a king of the universe stepped into earth, took on the form of a baby, grew into a man, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then began proclaiming the kingdom is here and that He is our King and that He had come to save and restore all things, people and creation. That He would die and resurrect. He would prove that He is King. Not just over you and I, not just over creation, but over death itself. That He would resurrect Himself from the dead as our King. And that He would say, come into the kingdom. Submit to My kingship. I've already proved it. Christ the King is asking you pleading with you throughout the Scriptures, prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. You can see it so clearly in the Gospels. He's asking you to follow Him. But just like hearing is passive, following can be passive too. He's asking you not just to follow, but to submit to bow your knee to the King, to dedicate your life. He says in Luke 14.33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And he's not saying that the things that you have are necessarily bad, but that he is all the more greater. It doesn't matter if it's what you own, how much money you have in the bank account, how big your family is, how well your family is doing, the job that you have, the societal status that you have. He's saying, I am all the more greater. And what He wants to do, He doesn't want to just take all of that from you. He wants to help you mobilize that for His glory, for your joy. So He's asking you, will you submit to Me and My kingship? Because it's for your joy and it's for my glory. It's for the ultimate human flourishing. You know, Tim Parsons, uh, former pastor of Center Point Church, he said, Things are always better when you do them God's way. And what you'll find is that every ethic that is good and right comes from the scriptures. That every code of ethics that we have, it's grounded in the reality that God has 
created and ordained the world to operate in a certain way. And so when we bow to Jesus, we're not just saying, yeah, I'm going to follow the things that you command me to do. We're stepping into human flourishing. It's for our joy. It's for our good. So what does that look like? What does that process look like? How do I bow? It's not a physical bow. We don't have a statue of Jesus. In Romans 10, this is what it says, starting in verse 9, it's because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can interchange that with King. Jesus is King. And believe with your heart, God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord, the same King is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction in the kingdom of God. And there is no shame for those who follow Jesus. And in addition to getting the, his, his riches bestowed on us for when we call on Him, when you submit to Jesus as King, you don't just get a King. You get a Father. You're adopted into God's family. He doesn't just see you as another one of His servants although we do serve Him, but you're seen as His child. And He deeply cares for you. But the reality is that you will either bow your knee on earth with your life made new, or later in eternal hell with your life destroyed. Christ is inviting you to bow your knee to Him. Not because He wants to take from you, not because He wants to manipulate you, not because He wants to exploit you for service, but He wants to bestow riches on you. He wants you to be part of His family. And that's what this is. Sunday morning, we are gathered as a family. And we testify to the goodness of God. He's asking you to bow your knee. Verse 6, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. David's declaring his assurance that the Lord saves. And I think this would be a healthy practice for us to adopt in our lives. This regular rhythm of reminding us that God does save us. Because there are times when it gets dark. You know, the dark nights of the soul. But we have to continually remind ourselves of God's saving power and His sovereignty in our lives. Because when the waves toss us to and fro, and they will, we need to be reminded of this. And if you're not a Christian and you feel like you've been tossed to and fro, and you can't get a grasp on life, on what's true. This is offered to you. It's just another p- 
piece of the pie. It's another sliver of hope that our King does save. Our King does answer us. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. You know, whether you're a Christian or not, we're continually putting our hope and trust in things other than God. And it usually comes at points of struggle. Tim Keller said, if you love anything in this world more than God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. See, if your king is money or politics or family or your job or your spouse, they cannot and will not be able to bear the burden of king They cannot do it. And you know this because someone at some point in time has probably expected this of you to be 100% all there for them at all times. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. I see see my mom as as she cares for her dad who lost his wife a few months ago. And it is hard, even from a distance, to see her try to be his whole world. It is not possible. And it is foolish of us to think that anything else other than God can be our king. And I believe a lot of us are resistant to wholly trust God, not because we don't agree with him, but ultimately because we just don't trust him. And the enemy is very good at giving us distractions and temporary fixes to our anxieties and fears. You know, these so-called fixes, they can be political, they can be monetary, they can be material, whatever fear or anxiety plagues you, the enemy will try to divert your attention away from the king who saves and answers, who supplies us, away from the king who sustains us, onto something that seems to be a fix, but is ultimately a band-aid on a severed limb. What are your horses and chariots you are trusting in? The Scriptures beg us to ask, what are the things that we are trusting in? Is it a political party or a government structure? Is it education? Is it money? Is it status? Is it material things? Is it family? Our trust in anything other than God it will ultimately fail us. And our king, he's not interested in competing. He's not interested in competing with your various trusts. And he laughs at them. He wants your complete devotion. And it's not because he wants to manipulate you. It's because he wants to bestow riches. He's not trying to oppress you. He's trying to set you free from the things that entangle us. He knows what you do not know. He knows the depths of your soul. He knows you better than you know you. He knows the longings that you have. He knows the pain that you are going through. And if you would just get your eyes up off the temporary, fleeting, moth 
prone things of the world, you would see there is a king who wants to set you free. The great paradox of the Christian faith is that there is freedom in surrender. But how do we hope and trust in something that we cannot see? I was recently watching the movie 1917. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, It's based on a true story. And I'll just give a short recap without trying to give everything away. But they're trying to set the stage. In World War II, uh, the front lines in Europe, they're trying to rush a very urgent message um, from a, a town far off. And their communication lines have been severed. And the only way is to do it by foot. But they, the Germans have retreated. And what they thought to be a previous front line is now completely open ground. And so they send some soldiers to go, just two. And only one of them eventually makes it with the message. And as he reaches the front line, as the front line's about to advance on what they think are retreating Germans, They don't know that they're actually in very grave danger. The Germans had planned this. It was a decoy maneuver. And so after a long, treacherous journey, the soldier makes it. He hands them the message. They call off the attack. But the officer in command, he's kind of disappointed. You know, he thought he had the Germans on the run. He thought he knew everything. And this is what he says. He says, I hope today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. That's it for now. And the next week, command will send a different message. There's only one way this war ends. Last man standing. And I agree. Hope is a dangerous thing if the object of our hope is anything other than the King of Kings. We also don't have a different message. See, God never changes His mind. He doesn't send us one message one day and then another message the other day. So in the life of battle that we face, there are three things I think we need to be clearly reminded of. One is that the battle is already won. We walk in present, current victory. The battle's already won. Jesus has already defeated Satan, sin, and death the day He walked out of the tomb. What should we be afraid of if that is our King? If that is the one who has already won the battle? The second thing is that Scripture does not change. The message is clear and consistent. The kingdom is is available for those who will bow their knee to King Jesus. We have a king that does not change his mind, that's not unaware of the things that are going on in this world or the things that are going on in your life. We have a king that is all-powerful and all-knowing. That is our king. Third is that Jesus the king is the last man standing. He is the hope and the light of the world. He's standing because He's already won. And He will soon stand on the head 
of the serpent an act of finalized victory. God is unseeable. That's why our hope and trust in Him is an act of faith. But God is not unhearable. That's why He gave us His Word. Finally, verse 9. O Lord, save the King. May He answer us when we call. We eagerly await for God to provide and sustain us and the leaders over us. See, King Jesus, He holds all the power. So we pray for the welfare of our leaders and our politicians. We pray for their salvation. But let us not place our trust in them for our salvation. For their power is just a power borrowed. And Christ will come to judge what has been done with His borrowed power. But the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus is the King who pulls from the margins. He doesn't discriminate. He's the King who saves and sustains. He's the King who listens and answers. And He is the King who is inviting us into His kingdom as a part of His family. Let's pray. Father, we praise You for coming to earth, establishing Your kingdom, and inviting us in. You are the King that moves towards. And so, Father, I pray that is there, there's anyone here that has not bowed their knee to You, King Jesus, that they would do so today. Not out of compulsion, of fear, or of anxiety. But God, I pray that You would show them how much You love them how much you want them in your kingdom. And so today, out of a love for you and out of a recognition of their own sin that they cannot save themselves, would you remind them that you invite them in? And for those of us who do have a relationship with you, who have bowed our knees to you, may we be very aware of the areas of our lives where we are prone to bow to other things. The things that we put our trust in that are not you. May we repent of those and rejoice in the king who's not just a king of second chances, but who's a king of restoration and continual love. We love you, Lord. We bow our knees to you as we sing. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.